Welcome to the Future Healthcare Today podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Hunsaker. In this episode, we're discussing how new solutions are making the care selection process simpler for members. Healthcare partners provide services that enable individuals to receive high-quality care while avoiding any compromises. Care guidance tools use omnichannel solutions to assist members where they are, whether through preventative care or other programs, and close care gaps. With the mission to ensure a healthier population while increasing member engagement and satisfaction, healthcare partners and their solutions can assist members in their care experience. For our conversation today, I sat down with Christian Gasteazoro, Senior Vice President, Smart Shopper Sales and Client Performance. She is a seasoned sales executive with over a decade of healthcare leadership, performance management, sales and strategy experience, with a passion for working alongside internal and external partners to solve problems. I hope you enjoy our conversation today. Thank you so much for joining us today, Christian. I really appreciate you jumping on. I'm excited to talk to you. Thanks so much. Excited to be here, Lucas. Our first question we're going to do is, why are care guidance tools important for members and how can omni-channel solutions benefit members? So coming from the perspective of healthcare, what we see happening is members know how to search for their doctor, for example, or they Google their conditions. In fact, 70,000 healthcare-related searches happen every minute and 75% of patients use Google to find their doctor, while 71% of patients use online reviews. Why do we do this with something as important as healthcare? It's really because, think about when you're searching for a restaurant or I need to identify a local carpenter. I use my friends, I'm phoning or texting them, I check the internet, so I'm online, I read what other people's experiences are or were, And then I take all of those inputs and I make a decision. Yet in healthcare, that's so important to my mind, body, heart, soul, and to my family members and friends around me, we trust a digital marketplace over our doctor or health plan provider. And I always like to take a step back, Lucas, when I think about questions like this, to think about what's happening to me in the consumer world, right? I am provided step-by-step instructions in order to do the things in front of me. I have a very easy interface and it's responsive typically in seconds. So I'll give you an example. Take booking a flight. I have three options. I can call Delta, which means I might risk a wait. I can text Delta. There's minimal wait risk, but I might not get exactly what I want from that interaction or I could use my Delta app to book book the trip myself. The risk is taken out of my choice because I've been given so many options that if any given time, if something doesn't go as planned, say online, I can always phone that friend and talk to a Delta representative, or I could send a text to help support me if I don't wanna sit on the phone. Healthcare needs those same options and they need them to help they need them in order to help a member understand how to make appropriate healthcare choices. So we overcomplicate things. We have rules and regulations all very necessary and then we expect the consumer to understand the rules, regulations, the parameters that we've put in place to help drive down cost of care, but at the end of the day consumers don't get it. 
So when we think about care guidance, it's about taking the complexity out of healthcare, providing members with a path to make decisions that are timely and appropriate, not just to me, but also within my cohorts. So age, gender, maybe even my demographics, whatever other criteria, criteria there might be. And I always want the phone a friend option. I always want to be able to reach out to somebody. I, always, I personally would rather chat with somebody than pick up the phone. But you, Lucas, might want to pick up the phone or you might want to use Dr. Google as your primary source. So care guidance, when we think about it, is really thinking about how we can influence members just like they're influenced every single day in daily life decisions that they're making and helping support those decisions that they're gonna make in healthcare through an omni-channel solution that provides that immediacy, that recognition that I need choice and helps me then ultimately better my health and for plans, for providers, lowers costs, um, potential impacts and, and increases disease prevention. Yeah, so how can these solutions then close the care gaps and and why is it essential for all parties involved so intrinsically i know i need to go to the doctor but extrinsically i may not have the motivation to go it might not just be motivation i might be too busy i can't find a provider i like it takes me so much time to call right and i hate calling into a call center if you think about, again, I'm gonna take us back into the consumer world because it really helps to emphasize the behaviors that we do every day that healthcare seems to think we won't do, but we will, by the way, is I always use Target as my example. When I use Circle Rewards, when I go in to Target at point of sale, I enter my cell phone number every single time. I don't even think about how they're gonna use that number. And miraculously behind the scenes, I'm earning rewards that I can use at any point in time to ultimately influence where I'm shopping. I will go to Target every day over Walmart in part because I align myself to that reward structure. Grocery stores, gas stations, credit cards, they've known this for a very long time. But when we think about care gap solutions, there's three different pretty big buckets that I like to break down why it's essential for um, these different populations. Number one would be Medicare, right? So there's a huge amount of money at stake for health plans. As they're thinking about HEDIS, which is basically, can I get a member to go out and close their preventative care based on whether it's an ongoing preventative care, I have no chronic condition, or one where I may, might have a chronic condition. And CMS measures me from a plan perspective. And when you think about the value of a star or even a half star increase, it could be $500 per member. So if a health plan has 75,000 members, that could be 37.5 million in additional funding realized. That's great for the plan. But at the end of the day, what's in it for me as a member? And so when we think about care, care gap solutions, they have to, not just what we talked about in the first question, align with an omni-channel solution, but they have to have an extrinsic motivator. And that extrinsic motivator has to think through what the economics of the decision that we need that member to make to influence and support the plan P&L. And so members respond very well to rewards. They do it every day. Like I said, with my target example, they do it 
they really respond in healthcare to that. Medicaid is very similar where, um, you know, when you think about it, there is evidence of positive impact when states use financial incentives to motivate managed care plans. Why not apply those same incentives to members? Put some skin in the game for them to provide a member the opportunity to make the choice. Now, typically when you work in the government programs, your biggest challenge isn't the people who are historically compliant, like you and I, who will go get our annual wellness visit, we'll go get our preventative care, mammography, colorectal cancer screening. It's the people that won't do it. And that's why the extrinsic motivation is so important as part of care gap solution closure and why it's essential that your strategy can't just be at the provider or plan level, it has to think about the member and it has to influence the way the member is choosing or accessing their healthcare. So do you think a, a rewards program is possible to implement to benefit the member? Is that something that's feasible? Yes, it's very much so. And I didn't even talk about the commercial population because if you think about it and you look at what's happening with commercial health plans, they have reward and incentive programs that are largely driven. If you think about there's vendors out there that send you to a playground of fitness and wellness and say, we want you to walk 10,000 steps. And if you walk 10,000 steps, we're going to give you 100 points. Points-based solutions, when we think about the commercial population, are great when we're working over time. So if I'm going to walk 10,000 steps a day, I might have weight loss goal. I'm not going to reach that weight loss goal next week. I might want to, but it's not going to happen, right? And so there's longevity in a point solution to actually delivering and driving results. When you think about reward and incentive solutions from a Medicare, Medicaid, or even a marketplace qualified health plan approach, it's really about how I can get somebody to do a behavior in a more immediate fashion, not wait the many weeks to ultimately achieve nirvana or success. We've um, seen these programs work very well. We have a core product, Smart Shopper, that we utilize for the commercial population that contemplates and helps individuals shop for their health care understand the cost of their health care and understand that cost is different. In the world of Medicare and Medicaid, it's about preventative care. It's about, am I, are you doing the things that are important to me? And we're going to talk, I think, in this podcast about risk adjustment um, and the value of that. The value associated with rewards ties to even that uh, potential lever from a plan revenue perspective. And then there's member satisfaction, right? I'll stay with a health plan if I'm happy with my health plan. I'll look at another opportunity to go to a different health plan or go to a different provider if I'm not happy with them. I would do the same if I was going to, you know, I didn't like this grocery store or they took away a reward program from me. I'd go to the Safeway down the street if they offered a reward program. Same idea in that consumer world applies in healthcare. We just have to make sure that we're compliant with the associated rules based on the line of business. Oh, right. That that makes sense. So you you are you were right. We are we are going to talk about risk adjustments. So then how do these solutions help with that? 
So I, um, I don't need to give a lesson on risk adjustment for this, but the one, the way I always explain it in very simple terms is I might be a type one diabetic and I generally people are right for the rest of their lives every single year, but CMS requires that I go to the doctor to have my doctor chart that I am a type one diabetic in order for CMS to then pay a health plan that's managing me and my care because I'm going to be more expensive than you, Lucas, who doesn't have a chronic condition, who's relatively healthy um, based on your age, gender, and overall diagnoses or lack thereof. And so when we think about risk adjustment, and it actually ties into member satisfaction as well, we think, what is the most important thing that a member needs to do? The member needs to go to the doctor for their annual wellness visit or annual physical in the commercial marketplace world. They need to have that doctor chart, the fact that I am a type 1 diabetic. Then that is something that we can then submit to CMS to get more money to manage me, a type 1 diabetic, than I would have gotten if I wasn't charted. Plans want that money sooner rather than later in the year. And so if I can influence a member going to get their annual wellness in the first quarter, then I'm in, I'm in much better shape than if I am going, for example, later in the year, just from an overall plan revenue perspective. So when we think about risk adjustment, we're thinking about what are the behaviors that we want that member to do? We want that member to go to the doctor, we want to reward them for going to the doctor, and we want to make sure, candidly, it's not just what the member is doing, it's, is the doctor charting it appropriately? So are they capturing the hierarchical condition category in a meaningful way that ultimately allows me to, to then get that money from CMS? So when we work with health plans, we usually think about two different hammers, for lack of a better term, to hit the nail, right? One is the member component, and that reward and incentive and the idea that we need that extrinsic motivation to drive bigger, broader strategies. The second is what provider incentive strategies are in place? What risk does the provider have if they don't do what we need them to do? And one of the biggest risks is the opportunity potentially to redirect a member to a better provider that will still provide excellent quality of care, but is doing the right thing for us from a CMS perspective. Yeah, so we've talked a little bit about members and, and the benefits towards them, but can you share specifically the benefits of member engagement in care guidance? I always like to say that any program you put in place, care guidance or not, it's not, it's never a set it and forget it. You can't, you will never be successful if you say, I have this great, solution for you, but I'm just going to assume you're going to participate. Real world example, I love Peloton. If I didn't love Peloton, Peloton tries to remind me every single day how much I love it, right? I get emails telling me exactly, you know, what previous classes I might have taken, what I liked, what I didn't like. Oh, guess what? There's a new class by this instructor. P.S. I love Dennis my little shout out there, right? And so it's, they're influencing me utilizing the machine. And the reason why they want me to do that is because I pay them on a monthly basis and they don't want me to leave. They don't want me to sell my Peloton. 
And so when we think about member engagement as part of any core care guidance from a healthcare perspective, we think about the frequency and the way that we communicate with members. And it really has to be at a level of N of one. Me, you uh, have different communication preferences. We've talked about that as part of the podcast. And so it's really a matter of when we think about, so if I'm gonna engage a member, I'm gonna look not just at my members that are doing what we want them to do. I need to make sure I'm communicating with them and we have different rules based on line of business. But I'm also going to think about what are the other other ways. Can I get the member to give me their phone number so I can text them, just like Target texts me, right? Can I provide an outbound IVR, which is interactive voice, that allows the member to initiate a conversation with me by me being proactive in that? Do I have to go back to direct snail mail? I mean, there's a lot of populations in healthcare where we force feed mail and in large part that mail is pitched in the trash. So there's strategies when we think about the benefits of the cost effectiveness of member engagement is where can we push a low cost, highly effective solution like email, like text, like phone a friend and IVR over mail to ultimately influence the success of a care guidance program. And that's really at the, at the crux of it. And every single year, we have to evaluate that member engagement strategy because we're not the only person thinking about member engagement from a care guidance perspective. When we work with a health plan, they can have in the tens to hundreds of vendors that are in some way touching a member and touching the member in different ways. And that seamless member experience becomes even more important to influence and impact. How, how do we, and I think we did touch on this briefly, but how do we transition consumers from being more reactive in their healthcare to being more proactive? What I would say to answer that, your question, of how do we make an individual more proactive versus reactive is helping to clarify the information and the ask of the member. In many cases, the way that we have to communicate with the member is in part dictated, whether it's because the health plan has rules and regulations around the words that can be used, whether it's the health plan rules or CMS has those rules. And the way that I'm like, who, on this podcast knows what an annual wellness visit is. Nobody, because nobody who's a Medicare senior is calling their doctor to say, I need to schedule my annual wellness visit. They just say, I need to go to my doctor. I met this individual, he was a, a cab driver actually. I was driving to a health plan and he said, oh, this is my health plan. He goes, you know what? They call me every year, and this lady spends over 40 minutes on the phone with me asking me about my health care, and, you know, I have this heart condition. As we kept driving, I stopped him, and I said, do you know why she's calling? He's like, no, but every year she kind of bugs me until I finally answer her, and then I'll talk to her and answer all of her questions. And I said, well, the reason she's calling you is because you have a heart condition, and she needs not only to understand where you are from a health perspective, but they have programs and services that help you feel better and help 
reduce maybe any concerns that you have going to the doctor. Like if you don't talk to a member in real world terms and give them examples that help them understand why it's so important that we ask or need them to do these things, a member is either number one, going to get annoyed and never answer the phone. Thankfully, this guy answered the phone, but he's still annoyed because he doesn't really understand. And then you stop listening and you're just a robot responding. And so I think it's incumbent on us as an industry to start changing the way that we talk to members and consumers and use data to proactively identify risk before risk happens, which is a little scary, right? But there's companies out there like Prealize that are thinking about how can I understand member risk using a cohort of data? And then once I understand that member risk, how can I ensure I give that information to me from a health plan perspective so I can reach out to that member to create the preventative behavior versus the reactive behavior? And sometimes members just need the prompt, but in most cases, members just need to understand healthcare and they need to understand it in a more succinct and easier way that speaks to them specifically. Because if you had tried to talk to that taxi driver in a different way, he probably still wouldn't have got it unless you gave him examples and really walked him through the value of the call that was being made to him. So hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, no, that was great. Thank you. Now, Kristen, before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to share or talk about? In closing, I thank you for allowing me the time to spend with you. I love thinking about member engagement, how we guide individuals to get the appropriate care. And I know I used a lot of examples from the real world, but the reason why I did that is because it's so important when you're thinking about member engagement, when you're thinking about programs, healthcare programs, period, to recall and utilize what's been in the market and worked effectively for over 30 years and to align as much of your strategy and innovation into thinking about AI, right? How can I use a machine to help influence member behavior? In the absence of that, how can I utilize technology to influence member behavior? And at the end of the day, that member behavior and the way that we influence it ultimately drives back to value to each different party. So for a member, I get money, but guess what? I get good health which means I have longevity, lower mortality. For a plan, I get, I'm impacting total cost of care. I'm making a member feel better about themselves and about me as a health plan, which is hard in health plan land. And so the benefit to that is I'm gonna, I'm gonna see that member stick around. And then the providers is increasingly competitive and there's everybody kind of looks the same unless you really dig underneath the covers. And so providers need to assess their levers and think the same way that we're thinking about it from a plan and member perspective. So really appreciate the time, Lucas, and um, opportunity to share today. So thank you. Thank you, Kristen, for joining us today. And a big thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you're interested in staying up to date on the latest best practices, lessons learned, and proven strategies for leveraging innovative technologies in healthcare guidance tools, be sure to visit futurehealthcaretoday.com. I've been your host, Lucas Hunsaker, and until next time, so long.